0: Welcome to the Trinity Church Aberdeen podcast, where you can listen to our most recent sermons. To find out more about who we are and what we believe, visit trinityaberdeen.org.uk Would you please turn in your Bibles to Esther chapter 4? We're in the middle of a series uh, through the book of Esther. It's on page 412 in the Black Bibles. If you picked up uh, one of the blue large print Bibles on your way, and that's on page 486. So in chapter 3, just before uh, this, a man called Haman had uh, persuaded the king of Persia to issue an, an edict uh, that in about 10, 11 months' time, all of God's people uh, would be, were to be killed. And then we have Esther chapter 4. Let's listen to God's words to us. Now, when Mordecai learned all that had been done, When Esther's young women and her eunuchs came and told her, the queen was deeply distressed. She sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that he might take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther called for Hatak, one of the king's eunuchs who had been appointed to attend her and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what this was and why it was. Attak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate and Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her and command her to go to the king to beg his favor and plead with him on behalf of her people. And Hatak went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Then Esther spoke to Hattak and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law, to be put to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he might live. But as for me, I've not been called to come into the king these thirty days. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the juice to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf. And do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. Amen. Right, we are in crunch time in the book of Esther. Uh, The stakes are high. A death warrant sits over all of God's people. Haman has got the king to issue it and it has gone to all parts of the empire. The clock is ticking. Uh, It's a bit like, you know, a train heading to a broken bridge and the, the, the brakes don't work. And this is the moment, like in any good story, this is the moment when we need a hero, we need someone to step up. We need uh, and do what needs to be done to save God's people. It's, it's a bit like that uh, that unseen moment between *The Empire Strikes Back* and *Return of the Jedi*. You know, when Luke Skywalker turns from a boy into a man, and when he comes back on screen, on, you know, you want to cheer. Um, or, or in a very different film, uh, in *Frozen*, you know, uh, when when Anna steps up. Uh, she realizes Hans is the bad guy and steps in to save the day and and you, you, you cheer but god 's people are on the brink and in serious need of a savior it 's an exciting stuff it 's an exciting story but we 've got to be we 've got to be careful here, as we saw last week it 's not just an exciting story because as we start to dig a bit deeper it 's actually it's a bit too close to the bone to be just a story. It's, it's part of something bigger, something that uh, real that matters for us too. If you remember last week, we saw the way Haman points to a more sinister evil, the devil himself, an enemy who's constantly prowling to destroy God's people. But today it's worth noticing this death sentence. So again, it's, it's something that... It, that um, isn't just some exciting kind of thing in the story. Because without a saviour, this is actually our predicament in the world. And we don't just face death at some point in our lives, kind of at the end of our decaying bodies. We, we face an eternal death, the Bible talks about. A spiritual death, shut out from all that is good forever. And it's not because of some evil dictator Uh, like we have here, but this is because of our rebellion against a just God. We are sinners, unclean, and condemned before a holy, righteous God. And so a death sentence actually sits rightly over all people. As Paul the Apostle said, the wages of sin is death. And we need a hero. We need a saviour to step in. We are guilty as charged. Well, let's get into the story and see what it can show us about that savior. So as we do, as we get into this story, as we look at Esther, I want you to be uh, thinking, how is Esther, uh, how is she an ordinary believer who becomes like a hero, like we, we could be in some way? But I also want you to be thinking, how is Esther a hero in a completely different way? A way we'll never be. Because I think through this passage we see both of those things going on. Now chapter 3 ended with the whole of Susa thrown into confusion. And the beginning of chapter 4 is Mordecai and the rest of God's people responding to the news. Verse 1, when Mordecai learned all that had been done... Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out in the midst of the city. And he cried out with a loud and bitter cry. Mordecai, he's in utter distress. Not surprisingly, he he, he sees what's about to happen and in his utter grief, you know, ripping your clothes, dressing in sackcloth and ashes, that's a normal sign in those days of deep grief and distress. We see it in other places uh, in Scripture and Mordecai's not alone he's this is the response of the rest of God's people verse 3 and in every province whether the king's command sorry, wherever the king's command and his decree reached there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting and weeping and lamenting and many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes now that trio of fasting weeping and lamenting that's a response that's actually straight out of uh, Joel chapter 2 it's it's one of returning to God it's one of repentance. It's coming before him and calling on his name, crying out that he would relent from disaster and bring blessing instead. God's people are here pouring out their hearts to God. And the news reaches Esther. And the rest of this chapter is this extraordinary conversation between Mordecai, who's outside, even outside the king's gate, and Esther, who's inside, Inside the palace, away from all that's going on. It's this toing and froing. And it's a passage asking the question of Esther, Who are you with? Are you with God's people? Those outside? Those under the death sentence? Or are you with Persia? Are you inside? Safe in the royal palace? It's interesting to know Esther's the only one given two names in this story. Esther's her Persian name and Hadassah is her Jewish name. And perhaps, we don't know, but perhaps we're told that because this is the big thing for her. Who is she going to identify with? With God's people or with the empire? Because she starts this story inside and she just doesn't get it, does she? She hears about Mordecai and you think she gets what's going on, verse 4. The queen was deeply distressed. But then she sends clothes for Mordecai to wear so he might stop this kind of over-the-top display of grief. She hasn't realized what's going on. She she hasn't heard. She gives a a superficial response to what she probably assumed was a superficial issue. But when Mordecai refuses, she then gets a bit more serious. She sends Hatak to find what really is the issue, and Mordecai tells him everything. And then Mordecai lays out what needs to be done, verse 8. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for the destruction that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her That's the key bit to command her to go to the king and to beg his favor and plead with him on behalf of her people. There is the big request, isn't it, Esther? You need to go to the king and beg for us, plead for us. God's people need a mediator, someone to step up before the king on behalf of everyone else. And notice what Mordecai says. He says, "Her people. Esther, this is your people. You're one of us, aren't you?" Esther hears the request, sends back her, not, not surprising hesitation. Because what Mordecai's asking, well, the stakes are big for her to go into the king without being requested. She could die. And if the king doesn't want her, you know, this, this is an easy excuse for a king like this just to kind of kill her off, isn't it? He hasn't seen her for 30 days. Perhaps he's gone off her, wouldn't mind if she was quietly out of the picture. Perhaps he could just get another queen. We've seen that before. In the, in the remains of Persepolis. It's, it's one of the great Persian cities. Uh, to this day, you can still see, carved into a number of the walls, in, in kind of the doorways, pictures of the Persian king. Perhaps it was a Ahasuerus, perhaps um, a Darius, but he's, he's sitting on his throne holding the golden scepter. And, and there it is. It, it's a picture, a n- number of them, reminding his subjects of his power. Walk in, and I don't hold my scepter out to you, will expect to die. But Mordecai comes out with an extraordinary response to Esther's fears. Because what he does is he preaches the gospel to her. Verse 13 Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Very famous words, aren't they? But why do I say he preaches the gospel? Well, here is a man who trusts in the promises of God. He knows God saves his people. God has promised safety and blessing for his people. If they stick with him, he's promised it to Abraham. Uh, through Abraham, he's promised it through Moses, through the prophets. Deliverance will rise for God's people, Mordecai says. He knows it. He believes it. Even if Esther doesn't, somehow, through someone, God will save. But he also tells her the other side of the coin. It's not just God delivers, it's that God delivers his people. Esther, who are you with if you're with God, then trust his deliverance. Even if you die doing this, that you will still be safe in God's hands. But if you're against him, then no, you and your father's house will perish. There's the warning. And this is the turning point of the whole of the book of Esther. From here on out, Esther steps up. She's the one who calls the shot, shots. She commands Mordecai. She hears the gospel in this transformed. verse 15. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa. Hold a fast on my behalf. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, but it's against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Here is Esther stepping forward. Firstly, she's she's stepping up to be with God's people. She's risking her life knowing perishing apart from them is worse than perishing as one of them. And secondly, she steps up towards God independence. She even uh, gets everyone to fast for her. She's going to do this. She's got to do it in God's strength. Whatever happens will be in his hands. And in the moment of distress, the hero's transformed. From being in the inside, dealing with the problem by covering it up, she's now risking her life for the week. And the tension's high. You know, what's going to happen? Will Esther survive as she goes in to see the king? Well, that's for next week. But instead, let's just take a closer look at Esther here. Because earlier, if you remember, I asked you to think about how we're like Esther and how we're really not like Esther. And first I want us to dig into how she is doing something here that we will never do. Esther is about to risk her life to save all of God's people from death. There in verse 8, she has to go to the king to beg his favour and plead with him on behalf of her people. This is a massive thing. It's her, the mediator, the go-between, the one who can save all of God's people. And then it's the rest of God's people, dependent on her, hoping in her. This is not something we do, is it? We are not Esther in this way. We're with the rest of God's people. We're looking to God and to her. Esther instead stands in in an Old Testament line of mediators. People who stood on behalf of God's people. On behalf of God's people before enemies. Just think of Moses standing before Pharaoh. But also in in a profound and spiritual way, pointing to the line of mediators who stood between God and his people. Again, like Moses, but also Abraham, Solomon, the high priests. Esther is this this mediator, this go-between to save God's people. Of course she's pointing us to Jesus Christ, the true, the better mediator. Just think about the similarities. Like Esther, Jesus is someone who has full access to the royal throne. He's someone who had to fully identify with his people to, to risk death for them, all in order to plead on their behalf to plead for their lives that they might be saved. She's pointing us to Jesus in this moment. But it is also important to see that Esther's situation is a shadow. It points to Jesus in some ways, but in other ways it's totally different because the the big difference is the issue of justice. King Ahasuerus had put God's people under a death sentence for no good reason. It was at the whim of Haman, who lied and bribed to make it happen. The king is unjust, and the people are innocent. But if you think with God, it's very different, isn't it? We are not innocent. So we thought about the beginning we've rebelled against the God of the universe, our sin has put us there. And God is not like Ahasuerus, God is not a victim, vindictive dictator. He's not killing people for no reason. No, God is just and He's good. He's righteous and He's holy. His verdict is correct. His death sentence is the punishment that fits the crime. And this means we need someone far greater than Esther. We don't need someone with. We don't just need someone with access to the king who identifies with his people. We need someone who comes perfectly. We need someone who's completely innocent themselves. Someone who can, who can meet the just demands of a just God. Someone who can take the punishment of all his people. We need a much better mediator than Esther. And that's exactly who we have. Because Jesus perfectly pleads for us in a better way than Esther. If you remember nothing else from today, it's this. Jesus perfectly pleads for us in a better way than Esther. Esther. Christ was, was never on the inside struggling to identify with his people. He was God eternal who took on human flesh. He fully identified with us apart from our sin. He was also never unsure. In fact, as he faced the horrific punishment, as his, soy, as his soul recoiled from judgment while he prayed in the garden, he said, not what I will, but what you will. And then he didn't just risk death He didn't say, if I perish, I perish. No, he knew he would perish. And he courageously went to it for us. He died on that cross on behalf of his people, taking their sin. And what's more, he stands in heaven before God himself with the wounds, pleading for his people, showing, Father, I know you want to forgive us. You can forgive your people because my death has done it all. Jesus perfectly pleads for us. Better than Esther, as we see Esther step into the throne room in chapter 5, may it point us to our courageous mediator. May it make our hearts lift as we think of the one who who stepped into the firing line for us, who took our sin, our guilt, our punishment so that we might be clothed with his righteousness. If you're someone wondering uh, about Jesus this morning, if If you've been thinking, what's he got to do with Christianity? What's he got to do with religion? Well, I hope just in this little story of Esther, you begin to see. Like like God's people then, we need someone to save us. Not from a bad king, but to save us from God's justice. And we have that savior. We have that go-between on our behalf. God made man. Trust in him and you will be safe. Come to him and you will be secure under his protection this morning. He will turn you from an enemy of God into a child of God, From guilty to righteous, from banished to welcomed into the arms of God himself. And if you have come to God, what a savior we have. Hebrews, uh, as Hebrews puts it, he saves to the uttermost, doesn't he? He perfectly pleads for us. He perfectly saves us. We saw it beautifully in the, the baptism of Ariella, didn't we? That glorious image of of God coming to us. God saving us. God washing us. God providing a savior when we are helpless. Helpless like an infant and can't do it ourselves. Jesus perfectly pleads for us. In a better way than Esther. But there's something more for us in this story of Esther's transformation. Yes, Esther is like Jesus, but... But also as we went through it, you may have realized that we're a lot like Esther in many ways. Like we, we actually have many similar temptations and fears to her, don't we? Perhaps outside of church, not many people know you might call yourself a Christian. You're terrified, actually, of people finding out. You've, you've kept it hidden for so long and it just feels hard at this point to tell people. I don't know, perhaps, perhaps at school lots of people know you're a Christian, but at a sports club, no one knows. Or, or your kind neighbor two doors down, they might know you go to church, but the vocal one up the street, not a chance I'm going to tell them. Perhaps you're worried what people might say, perhaps uh, about how friends might tease you or how they might desert you. Perhaps you know even there are more serious consequences for some of us. Perhaps your family might completely disown you, or a community might, completely leave you alone you know you might lose your job even perhaps your life is at danger for some and like esther it can feel as though you're staring down the barrel of a gun and keeping your head down feels like a much safer option now people don't have to know you're a christian for you to be a christian you don't have to walk down the street with a big sign saying, you know, I'm a Christian, or you don't have to have a fish on the, back of your, on the back of your car. But the question you need to ask yourself is, why am I staying hidden? And well, Sometimes that answer can be complicated, can't it? Like, it may just have never come up, or there's reasons to protect your family, it's not the right time. It can be complicated, but it, it could be, is it just because I'm actually embarrassed by Jesus? Is so that I'm not actually sure I want to be known as one of Jesus's people. It's actually, it's actually showing a love of the world more than a love of Jesus, because that's more serious, and that's the temptation Esther was facing. Now this is hard. We are, we are all cowered by the world. It it always feels intimidating. You know, courage isn't courage if there's nothing to be courageous about. We we've all felt that pressure. Esther was feeling. That sinking feeling deep in your belly. But, but look where Esther ends up. She ends up a woman depending on God. Taking risks for His glory and for the good of the church. Isn't that an incredible transformation? It's from, from zero to hero. From reticent to resolute. It's extraordinary. And isn't this something we long for in our own lives? As we cower, don't we just long to be Courageous. I find for me, it's normally in hindsight. You know, you get home from a moment of of staying quiet, of keeping yourself in the shadows, and you're gutted. It's like, oh, Father, I know that was a moment. I I could have stood for Christ, but I didn't. Please help me. So what made all the difference for Esther? Well, it was the gospel. Mordecai preached the gospel to Esther. It wasn't a soft message, it was a challenging and exposing one. He didn't just say, God loves everyone, it's all going to be okay. No, instead he showed her the truth. He showed her the stark contrast in the world. He set before her deliverance or perishing. Or to put it more starkly, he set before her life or death through Christ, our even better mediator, even more courageous mediator, the gospel contrasts become laser focused. Mordecai preached a gospel of hope, didn't he? Relief and deliverance will rise for God's people. What a great message. And in Christ, God saves his people from sin and its worst impacts even than death. And he's promised to bring deliverance, bring relief, and and finally to bring us home to himself, into eternal life before his throne. They are beautiful promises. This is so secure in Christ. We've seen it. This is no vague hope. We have the, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ before us. We can see God's faithfulness in action. He perfectly identified with us. He became like us without sin and then he perfectly paid for the price for our sin he then became sin for us as he died bearing it on himself and if if that wasn't enough he rose again so he might enter heaven for us he takes the the marks of his completed sacrifice to the throne room he takes our risen human flesh to the heavenly city it's salvation it's salvation from start to finish Sin and death defeated and life and glory guaranteed. It's grace showered upon sinners. Life is on offer in the gospel. Secured by our better mediator. That's one side of the coin, isn't it? But there's also a warning in the gospel. Just like for Esther, being outside of God's people, being separated from Jesus Christ, that's a big problem. That means staying in our sin. Facing God's wrath for it. It's life or death, with Christ or without Christ. It's the gospel. But it's that message that totally transformed Esther. And it can do the same for us. If Jesus perfectly pleads for us better than Esther, well, it's the gospel that totally transforms us like it did for Esther. The gospel totally transforms us like it did for Esther. How? How does it do that? Well, to finish it, it just gives briefly three brief perspectives, okay? First, it puts the present into perspective. It puts the present into perspective because being one of God's people now means we might face struggles in this life. They are real struggles. But we're guaranteed a secure, glorious future with God's. But ignoring God's people... Loving the world more than Jesus now. Well, that that might bring us safety now, comfort for a bit. But it separates from Jesus and what he's got on offer forever. The momentary troubles fade in the sight of the glories won for us in Christ. He puts the present into perspective by showing us the future. But also it puts the pressure into perspective because sometimes it can feel like the whole world hinges on what we do. We can feel a bit like we really are Esther. You know, if, if we do it, we're going to save millions. If we don't, we'll die along with our family. And the, the pressure can crush us in the moment. We flake out and then feel racked with guilt, especially when telling people about Jesus. But remember, what Esther had to do here was a Christ-like action. Jesus has done it all. He's the one in control. He's the one who saves people. And that just frees us. It frees us from the pressure. It frees us in those little moments with people who don't know Jesus, just to be honest, to be open, to leave the results to God. It's it's a weight off our shoulders. We let Christ deal with the results of our evangelism. We let him deal with it. And what do we do? We just stick with him. You know, if, if, if hundreds of people are going to become Christians because of you standing up for Jesus, wonderful, praise God. But also, if, if, if people are going to ignore you and hate you for it, we keep trusting him. The pressure's not on us. It's, it's his work. It's in his hands. And thirdly, that just means that the power is in perspective too. The gospel shows us the exciting power that's at work in us. Because Mordecai in verse 14 presents this really exciting moment for Esther. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And the gospel reminds us it's God's power at work in us, totally transforming us and also excitingly doing the same in others. And perhaps now is the time he's going to act. Now is the time. First of all, it may be in us. Perhaps this morning you have never called yourself a Christian. But you want to know Jesus. And you want to know the life he's got for you. And perhaps you're terrified of what people are going to say. But you also know, I want Jesus. I want his forgiveness. I want to know him and his love and his security. Well, who knows? Maybe now is the moment for God to show his mercy to you. Maybe now is the time for you to come to seek his forgiveness in Jesus, for you to become one of his, for you to let his power transform you. Who knows if you are here for such a time as this. But also, this power is excitingly doing things in others' If you're following Jesus, maybe God's got you where you are because of what he's going to do through you. Who knows whether you have not come to the place you're in at this moment for such a time as this. And actually, it's often in the everyday decisions, isn't it, that you're facing. It's there that you're having to decide whether you stand for Jesus or not. It's those moments when people ask you how your Sunday was. It says your mates invite you to have some shots with them at the pub. It's deciding whether to talk about Jesus with your unbelieving husband or wife one evening. It's, it's at work when a fellow Christian is getting gossiped at, about behind their back. It's in the school playground when your kids are being made to dress up for pride. It's in those decisions. I must let the gospel sink in. It's God's power at work. So if he's got me here, For such a moment as this, what does wisdom, what does courage look like for me? What unique opportunities do I have to share Jesus with someone? What impact might God have through me as I speak up? God is at work. It's His power. This is scary, yes, but it's exciting. Because of Christ, the, the present is in perspective now. The pressure's in perspective and the power is in perspective. The gospel can totally transform us so we can step up like Esther. We can be courageous in God's strength, dependent on him, secure in his love for us. Because who knows whether you've not come to this place for such a time as this. And it's in Christ's name we go. Our better, our courageous mediator and for his glory. Amen.